right, welcome everyone. We're so glad you're with us in worship today. You know, some of you are aware that I journal as one of the spiritual disciplines God uses in my life. I love that because I'm able to write down prayers and, and goals and things God is doing in my life and where I'm sensing God working in his presence and so on. I highly recommend it. But that at the end of every year, I ask the same question. Have I grown during this year? Have I matured any? Now, I ask that question because I'm convinced that that is God's will for every person. God wants every true Christ follower to grow, to mature into all God designed them to be. In other words, there's no true Christian where God looks and says, hey, <coughs> tell you what, you're really special. You're not like everyone else on this. You get a pass. You can stay just as you are. God doesn't say that to anyone. God doesn't want anyone to remain in spiritual infancy. Now, in the human realm, we love babies, right? I think probably most of you do. I love babies. Anytime I see a cute little baby, I just light up. I wanna go over and start acting all immature and making cooing sounds and faces at the baby. And, and we all love to smell a baby's head, right? I mean, it's just a thing we do. It's good, it's natural, it's normal. I love babies. Well, I feel the same way about baby Christians. No, I don't wanna smell their heads, not that, not that. But I think Christians who are brand new in the family of God are exciting to be around. In fact, they can, they can make a church come alive. They're so eager to grow. Everything is still a wonder to them. They've not lost their first love, and, and I just love to be around new believers. Now, I want you to think about this. Who is a hero to you in the faith? Who, what woman, what man would you look at and go, wow, they're a spiritual giant. I really look up to that person. Do you have someone in mind? Now think about this. That woman or man was at one time a spiritual infant, a brand new baby in Christ because everybody has to start there. Everybody has to start as an infant. Okay, but there's something profoundly tragic to be around a person who's been a Christian for many years, possibly even decades, and they are still a spiritual infant. For some reason, they've just not grown, and honestly, that's not cute anymore. It's actually tragic. Well, today's passage from the Bible, Hebrews chapter five, we're gonna look at it in just a moment, is, I believe, perhaps the best section in the whole New Testament to define what maturity really is. So these verses, and I'm gonna start in a moment in Hebrews 5, verse 11, they not only define Christian maturity, but they tell us how it happens. So let's look at the passage together, and then let's unpack it for these minutes we have today starting in verse 11 of chapter five. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you 
the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And then let's just catch that first phrase from chapter six. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. This passage is a powerful call for every one of us to grow up in Christ, to press on to spiritual maturity. And based on that passage, here is the little thesis statement I put together today, and it kind of has three parts to it. Christian spiritual maturity is defined and determined by what you take in as spiritual nourishment, that's the first part, how you allow it to transform your values and actions, that's the second part, and how faithfully you teach that way of living to others. That's the third part, and that's where we're headed today. So let's spend a few moments unpacking that, and I'd like to present it to you by way of questions, okay? And so you, no matter where you are in the journey, you can do your own little spiritual inventory today. First question. What are you taking in as spiritual nourishment? I think every parent can really appreciate the truth here in verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's a babe, but solid food. Some translations translate that meat. It's kind of like the meat and potatoes of the word. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Any parent knows that when a baby comes into the world, you give that baby milk because its digestive system isn't developed enough yet to handle solid food. So you give a baby milk, and over time, they grow, they develop, their digestive system can handle more. And pretty soon, milk alone doesn't satisfy that child. In fact, you, you, you can note this with a little baby. As they get into the months, pretty soon they're kind of pushing the bottle away. They don't want just milk anymore. They're craving something with more substance. So you don't want to rush that process to solid food, but you definitely want to get there. So if you are a brand new believer in Christ today, I say welcome to the family of God. We're so excited for you. And I've got a great verse for you. It's right here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Because babies need milk. So if you've just come to Christ, it is totally appropriate that you would be feasting on the milk of the word. By that, I mean the basics. You need to get to know, hey, what is prayer? Uh, how can I read my Bible? Hey, what are the basics of the, of the essentials of the Christian faith? What is the Christian faith built on it? Those are the things that we would call the milk of the word. That's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to shrink back from, and I hope you'll be asking lots of questions, and I hope that brothers and sisters in the church 
who've been around a lot longer in the faith will answer those questions for you with lots and lots of patience and so on. But get this part. Paul the apostle scolded, yeah, he actually scolded some Christians who'd been believers for a while, but they were still on the bottle. Look at this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, he says here, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. So let me ask you point blank today, again, being very personal in today's message, how is your spiritual diet these days? You've all heard that old proverb, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? Well, I think the Christian equivalent of that is a verse a day keeps the devil away. And I think a lot of brand new believers, when they're just getting started in their faith, it's very common to have a little five-minute devotional in the morning. And maybe you look at one verse and you kind of chew on that a little bit and you go out the door. So listen, I would say to you, if you're in the custom of having a five, 10, 15-minute little devotional, saying a little prayer at the end of it, and you're out and on your way, I say bravo. And here's the reason. Because some nourishment is better than no nourishment. I have this philosophy that I've probably probably uh, worn out with my family, something is better than nothing. My whole family's probably gotten tired of me saying that. Something is better than nothing, I say. And I'm saying that when it comes to any kind of discipline, any kind of exercise, any kind of Bible study or spiritual input, something is better than nothing. So bravo if you're spending five minutes and looking at one verse a day. God bless you. But let me ask you a question. Humanly speaking, could you survive on 200 calories a day? You'd get emaciated pretty fast. In a matter of weeks, you would be a skeletal person. You would be practically skin and bones. And I say to you respectfully and with all sensitivity, If you are expecting to grow into the robust, mature, healthy disciple that Jesus designed you to be, and all you're doing is taking a little swig of milk, as it were, in the morning, and that's the only spiritual nourishment you get, I'm concerned. I honestly am. I'm afraid. Here's what I'm afraid of, because I care. I'm afraid you're going to starve to death. Because that's honestly just not enough for a maturing disciples. Maturing disciples go way beyond the milk of the word, and they begin to munch on some solid spiritual food that's really gonna nourish them and grow them. So, let me ask you, do you have extended times in the word where you maybe read a section of scripture, and then either by yourself or with brothers and sisters, you kind of talk about what that means. That would represent solid food. Or are you a part of, Uh, God of the Word, one of the wonderful Bible studies we have here at Grace, which takes people deep into the truth of God's Word, but it's also 
accessible to brand new Christians. That's the good thing about God of the Word. Anyone can benefit from it. Or are you maybe taking some verses or passages of Scripture and committing them to memory and then regularly chewing on them and meditating on those and asking God, what do you want to say to me through this? Now listen, that would represent also getting solid food that will nourish you. So if your answer to any of that is no, I just don't have anything like that, I say it again because I care. Wow, I'm just afraid you're starving to death. I'm afraid that you're just not getting enough spiritual calories in your day to grow you into the robust, dynamic, strong follower of Jesus that he wants you to be. I'm just concerned about that. So my second question is this. No matter what your diet is, whether it's a verse a day to keep the devil away or whether you are honestly immersed in some really meaty and substantive study of the word, let me ask you this. How are you allowing it to transform your values and actions? Someone has said, there are three testaments through which God reveals himself. Watch this now. The Old Testament, the New Testament, and the U Testament. And it's really true. Do you realize that you, if you're a professing Christian, you are a testament. You're a testimony. You're a letter for the Lord Jesus Christ that speaks loudly. Paul said to the Corinthian Christians in his second letter to them, he said, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. Somebody put it like this. You're the only Bible that some people will ever read. Trust me, that is true. And so think about this, dear Christian friend. Every day and in every way, your life is a letter. You're sending a message about Jesus Christ and who he is. So what kind of message is your life sending? Now, you say, well, Pastor Rex, let me make sure I get this straight. Is what you're saying today, is it that these really mature Christians that you're talking about, they're the ones who know the Bible really well, and the immature Christians don't really know the Bible? Is that right? Is that the difference, Pastor, between a mature Christian and an immature Christian? I think it's a good question. But please listen closely to this. It is possible for you to have been around church and around Christians and around Christian activities a long time, possibly for years, and have your mind filled with Bible content and still be spiritually immature. That is very possible. I'll even say it's pretty common. It is actually pretty common for people to have a lot of Bible facts in their head but still be no earthly good because they haven't learned how to apply it. Or let me say it differently. It's possible for you to know theology A to Z, backwards and forwards, and still be inexperienced in what he calls in today's passage the word of righteousness. Did you catch that passage? The word of righteousness. That refers not primarily to what we know, 
The word of righteousness refers to our ability to apply what we know, particularly when it comes to decision-making and daily actions. That's why I said in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The constant use of it. That word trained, by the way, there comes straight out of the athletic world. It's actually the Greek word that we get our word gymnasium from. So the New Testament says, look, you're like a spiritual athlete. It constantly, regularly uses this language, by the way. It compares us to athletes. And so this mature disciple is one who, like an elite athlete, has regiments. Daily disciplines that you go through. Training. You attune your senses to God's word so that in the time of difficulty, you can choose rightly, and it's almost like second nature to you. I don't know if any of you have seen the Australian Open. It just finished earlier today. Quite a, turno, quite a, quite a tennis tournament. And I saw a little part of the match where Naomi Osaka won the women's singles title this year in the Australian Open. And I understand, I haven't seen any of it, but earlier today, because of the time change, it happened early in our day, but uh, Novak Djokovic beat uh, Medvedev in straight sets, I understand. And as I watch this tennis, it's just amazing how these elite athletes can make a very difficult game actually look easy. I mean, their instincts are amazing. They just know what to do. It's like second nature. They don't have to stop and think about, wow, how am I gonna return this shot here? No, they've done it so many thousands of times. It's just second nature because for hours each day they have trained. The Christian life is an awful lot like that. Day in and day out, we get in the word. Day in and day out, we discipline ourselves through abiding in the word and internalizing its truth and engaging in all kinds of other spiritual disciplines. And we do this so that we're in the their midst of a heated battle and the devil is coming at us hard and the heat is on in the office or in your home or in your neighborhood or in your classroom when a temptation flies in your face like a drive at the net in a tennis match, we don't have to think and muster up something we've never done before. We just do what we've practiced thousands of times and we hit a winning shot and represent Jesus well. Now let me tell you why this is so important today that we be practiced in the word of righteousness, that we know what is true and what is not, that we be well-versed in the truth of God's word. Here's why. Because in case you haven't noticed, and I know you have, our society is changing very rapidly these days. This is particularly true in the Western world. In fact, I, I, don't go, I can't go into this in detail because you would glaze over, but I, I just wanna be very quick and brief. I hope you get this point. For centuries, morality in the Western world has been based in the character of God. That's the truth. Never was lived out perfectly at all. 
but it's at least agreed that morality is based in the character of God. God is loving, so we should be loving. God is kind, so kindness is a good thing to pursue. God is just, so we should pursue justice in our court systems. God is merciful, so we should be merciful. Again, let me say loud and clear, that has never been lived out super well by any group of people or any society. But here's the point. They at least agreed that God's character was the basis of morality. Today, all of that has changed. The moral base today is no longer God. It is general consensus. Morality, in other words, is what we collectively agree is good or bad. And that is leaving us in a very confused place because naturally that is so subjective. I mean, who, who has a right to make up the rules here? And so it pretty much comes down to what we feel is right and wrong. So on this talk show, if we could say it more loudly and often enough, then maybe we'll win the day. And it's whoever has the biggest presence on social media and whoever's the most popular kind of makes up what is right and wrong in our culture. Believe me, what I'm telling you is true. Now think about being a baby Christian in an environment like this. This is where it gets really personal. The Christian who is living only on milk, just a little verse a day or something, is gonna have a great deal of trouble distinguishing not only between good and evil, but especially distinguishing between how they should make decisions in daily life and how can I navigate relationships and how can I determine what attitude I ought to have about this particular issue. And they're gonna be tossed back and forth by the waves of public opinion and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And pretty soon, and this happens a lot, Pretty soon, immature believers actually are so confused they can be calling evil good and good evil because they're just confused. That's why he says again in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The practice of what? the practice of constantly being in the word and using the word to be the filter for your decisions. Why is that important? Because this is the only reliable expression of the mind and heart of God. And when you're well-versed in this, you can stand humbly but confidently. Did you hear those words? Humbly but confidently in a chaotic, broken world like ours, and you can say, you know what? This is what I'm gonna do because I know this is the right path. God has made this clear. Now, let me ask you, does that describe you? Are you that kind of Christian? Is the word of God transforming your values and actions, or is something else transforming them? Listen, Everyone, hear this. You are being discipled right now by something. You are. It's either your social media feeds, it's those podcasts you love to listen to, it's those shows, those movies, those mus that music. Something or someone is discipling you. The question is what? Is it? Is it Jesus and his word, or is it the spirit 
of the age. And I believe that for many listening to me right now, I believe that the culture, the secular culture, is actually discipling you more than Jesus and his word. I'm not on your case right now. I say that with a sad heart. I say that literally with a tear in my eye. I don't have an ax to grind. I'm not mad about anything. I just wanna be helpful. And I'm simply asking you, whose disciple do you wanna be? Because if you're a true Christ follower and your values and actions are being shaped mostly by the secular culture, at best, you will remain a spiritual infant, at best. Because you're simply not getting enough spiritual nourishment to transform your values and actions into what God wants you to be. That's just factual. That's just reality. Well, the final and third and final question that I wanna present is this. How faithfully are you teaching that way of living to others? How faithfully are you teaching it? Now, by that way of living, I'm talking about the Jesus way. By the way, did you know that disciples weren't first called Christians? This movement wasn't called Christianity at first. It was called the way because they were men and women who were just walking in the way of Jesus. Like John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, Hey, whoever follows him must walk as Jesus walked. Just do what he did. Go in the way that Jesus went. Follow him. Study him. Learn from him. So a mature Christian who is one who walks in the way of Jesus and then puts into practice what they know. Now, here's the reason that's so important. Because as you grow as a, a disciple, your decisions are actually gonna become a bit more difficult. Did you know that? Study the disciples. At first, when Jesus called him, he said, hey, leave your nets, come and follow me. I think that was a pretty hard decision, don't you? Leave your nets, follow me. But three and a half years later, the question was much, much radically harder. Will you die for me? That was the question. Later, it got harder. Early in their walk with him, Jesus asked them to make the somewhat difficult question of, hey, let me disrupt your life a little bit. Would you come to me? I'll comfort you. I'll teach you what it means to hang out with me and learn these new values of the kingdom. But later, he said, you go be my martyrs. Go lay down your lives for me. Go be witnesses for me. Go talk to people about me. That was a much, much harder decision to make. So I'm saying to you, if you're following him today, the decisions are actually gonna get a little harder, not easier. Here's what I want you to hear. The day that a decision is laid out before us by the Holy Spirit through the word of God, and we say, God, I won't do that. I refuse to obey you. At that moment, our discipleship stalls. And what's more, if we continue in disobedience, we can actually regress to the point of becoming like spiritual infants again. So the writer says here in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
you have need again for someone to teach you. Hear this part. The final mark of a mature believer is that they're teaching others. Are you teaching others? No, that doesn't mean you need to be a great orator or a public speaker. It means that mature disciples so live the way of Jesus that both their actions and their words are teaching and impacting others for good. You're, you're passing on what you know. Are you doing that? Maybe you're a mom and you are teaching your children to make right moral judgments based on the solid food of the word of God. Or maybe you're a guy out there and there's one man in your neighborhood who's a brand new Christian and you sit down with him maybe once a week, open up the Bible together and you talk about God's word and how it applies to your lives. Or maybe you're a woman out there and you're in the corporate world and you're, you're kind of a pace setter out there and you're a great leader, and you're finding ways to teach the way of Jesus and relate to your colleagues in the boardroom and in the corporate offices, and you're bringing your values to bear in your work. Or maybe you're a grandparent, and you're praying for and spending time with your grandchildren, and you're trying to inculcate in them the solid values and beliefs of Jesus Christ and God's word. Hear me. It is impossible to be a fully mature disciple of Jesus unless you're passing it on in some fashion. Mature disciples disciple others. Mature disciples become reproducers. And I wanna say to you today, and I think I'm looking at many people today where this is the truth, you have a lot more to share than you think you do but because of fear or anxiety or insecurity, you remain reluctant to pass things on, to share. But if you're growing in Christ, if you're amongst what he categorizes here as the mature, you will teach others. It will be a natural consequence. So let me close by saying this. Who are you teaching? Could it be that God the Holy Spirit is getting personal with you today through his word and he's saying, look, by this time you ought to be teaching. You ought to be passing this on in some way. You've got so much I've built into you, so many things that you can share. It's time to get on with it. Friends, I, I'm convinced there's no greater stimulus to our growth than when we begin to teach or minister to other people in some way. I've told you this before, I know, but it's my own experience. As a Christian of 13 years old, my little church down in Tennessee had the audacity, I can't believe they did this, to ask me, a 13-year-old, just been a, a, a born-again Christian for a few months, they asked me to teach the 11 and 12-year-olds on Sunday evening. Wow. That caused my growth to take off like a rocket. I found myself explaining things in the Bible to them, answering questions, helping them in situations in their lives. And then a few years later, as a sophomore in college, I went on my first short-term mission trip. It happened to be to New Orleans. And I'll never forget this, another growth spurt in my life. I'll never forget it. Being out on the street, there were 10 of us who went. Being out on the street on Canal Street, 
near Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Literally, the first person I talked to, true story, said, hey, have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ? He started making these kung fu moves. I think he was on acid or something. And he said, I am Jesus Christ. And I wanted to run back to Tennessee as fast as I could. But I persevered and I kept sharing. And we had a chance in those 10 days to serve underserved people in that community and help introduce a lot of people to Jesus Christ. It was like a turbo boost to my spiritual growth. So I tell you, if you start engaging like that, get out of your comfort zone, guess what? Your interest in the Bible is gonna skyrocket. You see, people are gonna be asking you questions about the Bible and about your faith. And when you're called upon to give answers like that, it's like on-the-job training. You're putting to use what you're learning and you're doing it right away and it rockets you toward maturity. I'll tell you another thing it'll do. When you get out of your comfort zone and begin to share what you know, it will invigorate your prayer life, I'll tell you that. Your prayers will go from being perfunctory to passionate because you know people who are in real need and you need the power of God in your life and you realize that and you're gonna pray passionately and cry out for God to intervene. And here's the good news. God is gonna use all of that, all of that, to create this deepening appetite, hunger, and longing for more. And when you teach, listen, when you teach because your heart is full, your heart becomes fuller because you teach. And I just can't help but believe that God is nudging, God is prodding, God is calling a number of you today and going, hey, just like in this passage, by this time, you ought to be teachers. By this time, you ought to be sharing. You ought to be doing something to pass on all this stuff that you know and all this experience you have with me. Maybe you need to get involved in the youth ministry at your campus. Maybe you should become a part of the hospitality team or a short-term mission trip, or jump into one of the many grace and action ministries and start making a difference out in the community, but serve in some capacity. I will assure you that those 13 guys on that video who gave 710 volunteer man hours to that wonderful project in Cohoes so that the youth of Cohoes can have an opportunity to be transformed, I'll guarantee you God uses that to grow them. You simply cannot be involved giving out like that without God using it in your life. You will start to grow. Father, I ask that today for my brothers and sisters, and we're all in this together, help us to get a glimpse of the glorious future you want to bring us into. Mature, robust, flourishing disciples of yours realizing the potential you've placed in us. But I pray for those today who are practically starving to death because they're just getting, not getting enough spiritual nourishment that they would begin to get a different diet. They'd begin to take in some solid food with substance, something that's healthy, and that you would use it to transform their values and actions 
And as they keep following you, Lord, would you help them begin to pour out what you're pouring in and begin to share all that they're learning. And as they share out of a full heart, I pray that you would make their heart even more full of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.